film and television, merely entertainment, right? No. There's so much more to film and television that changes our perspectives. And as a result, we can have different, either realistic expectations or non-realistic expectations about what life is really like. Whether it be horror that helps us develop a habit of turning every light on in the house, or a comedy that helps us relieve tension in the saddest times of our life. I want to go in the Wayback Machine and find out exactly what movie helped shape you. I'm Oma Shadi, and welcome to the Between the Bannisters podcast. Thank you so much for joining us for uh, Between the Bannisters podcast. I'm really, really excited about the uh, guest that we have today because um, I just feel like there's nothing. First of all, just say hi to the kids. Matt Ricardo, say hi to the kids. (laughs) Hi, hi kids. (laughs) (laughs) I just feel like there's nothing that you you can't do. And I'm just very excited to um, not only have you here, but also to to speak about. You're actually going to be our first television series. That we're talking about so this is also ultra cool for me because we've just been talking films thus far but i want to give you a little bit of background on mr matt ricardo so the groundwork for matt ricardo's unique one-man show began as a teenage street performer in london's famous covent garden and from there he spent the next three decades traveling the world's theaters cabaret clubs and festivals advancing and reforming his art form to become one of the most critically acclaimed and successful specialty acts that there is. His groundbreaking work merges physical and verbal comedy, storytelling, dance, and of course, his trademark spectacular feats of circus, magic, and dexterity, all presented in a unique cocktail of cool, slick honesty. After performing a completely sold-out series of shows at Edinburgh Fringe, Matt embarked on an extensive UK tour, including London's West End, the Purcell Room at South Bank Center, and London's International Mime Festival. He's performed for His Royal Highness Prince Charles, as well as America's Got Talent, where he received a standing ovation. Matt is also a TED speaker, writer, director, and encyclopedia of shtick, but he's never happier than when he is in front of a crowd with a glint in his eye and a trick up his sleeve. Uh, What did everybody else do with their life? Welcome, Maricardo. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Thank podcast. you for having me. Thank you. I, I definitely can't do everything. I just literally spent half an hour trying to pull one decent espresso shot from my coffee machine. <laughs> so, you know. We found the chink in the armor. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is actually having a, a decent sleep schedule and opening up a cereal bag without tearing the shit out of it. So that's those are the holes in my category. Oh, a I decent sleep schedule. That's that's the that's the adult dream. <laughs> uh, so tell me what we're talking about today. Like I said, you are our first television series that we've spoken of. Um, so this is really, really cool for me because I feel like there's so much more. A film is really one and done. It's kind of a one-trick pony. But a series you can really build upon, and there's so many formative things that can be in that particular place so tell me what series or pilot or episode that we're talking about today Mm -hmm. well yeah this was a really interesting um sort of challenge to think of this you know the 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 whole behind the banisters thing you know i could have i could have suggested a bunch of films and stuff that i probably shouldn't have been watching at the age that i was watching them yeah but in terms of something that absolutely made me that 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 you know in 
my early teenage years formed the person that I still am today. We are talking about the early 1980s TV series, Fame. Oh my God, I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> the minute you told me, I was like, uh, uh, yes. <laughs> I'm excited. So tell me why you loved it. First of all, why did you love this show? Well, it's complicated. So yeah, it's, it, it's complicated, but so fame came out in 1982 which is it was obviously a spin-off from the 1980 movie which is excellent at that time i was a very shy child with a quite a bad stutter um who you know i was absolutely only happy and comfortable when i was locked away in my room just playing with a computer or you know doing something on my own i was very shy and it, it's really interesting so fame if, if the the listeners don't know fame is a, a tv series about the new york school for the performing arts and the people that, that go there and it's like a soap opera but it's a musical there, there, there are song and dance numbers and if it had been set in hollywood where, where most stuff that is about showbiz and fame was set then it would have featured a sort of Beverly Hills 90210 type cast of beautiful, sure. <laughs> tall, skinny people. Beautiful, tall, skinny, almost entirely white people. Because that's the sort of 80s Californian, that's what fame looks like. But it was set in New York. So therefore, it had an incredibly diverse cast, not just racially diverse, although it was incredibly racially diverse, but also in terms of there was a rich character and a poor character and everyone in between. And like dirt poor and ridiculously rich. And that was part of their story, you know, their privilege or lack of it. There were people from, from every different sort of social and ethnic group and identification. It was totally the New York melting pot. So, and I am getting to answering your question. Um, <laughs> no, it's so, fine. I'm glad that you're saying this because that, that really is, I feel like we've kind of moved away from that diverse cast of characters. I mean, really, the the people that are listening now that are probably in the millennial age, um, there would be no Glee without the base work of fame. Absolutely. There really wouldn't. And they they peppered in a couple of diverse characters. You know, they ticked a few boxes and yep. then everybody was a, a diverse school. But I think especially with the gap in the socioeconomic backgrounds was really important for kids our age to see we could still be in the same pot rich or poor and then there are certain struggles that we have in common um that we weren't seeing in certain yeah. things like that i mean we had like different strokes which was like the hard knock kids and you know facts of life so I mean, we did get a glimpse of how hard life could be but not in a performing arts aspect which yeah think things like different strokes were were showing that from a white savior perspective that we only saw the poor kid when he was saved by the rich white guy you know yes, yes, whereas yes. i mean like in in fame in the pilot episode of fame you have the character of leroy johnson who is portrayed by the fantastically talented and sadly no longer with us gene anthony ray you know he you see him struggle with having to wear tights for dance because it doesn't fit in with his sort of street level um mm. very working class idea of masculinity you see him doing his homework in a pool hall because he doesn't go home you know it's like and, and it's not really focused on too heavily it's just that is his life you know right. so yeah so for me you know my favorite characters in fame are bruno martelli 
who is the Italian-American introverted musical genius, yes. and Doris Schwartz, who is the funny sort of, you know, she's not tall and blonde and glamorous, and but she's funny and talented and she can act and sing and dance. And, and the, the, the teenage me saw these characters and went, well, these people are not, they're, they're like normal people. They look mm. like normal people. They don't look like stars. They don't look like people who are in show business. They look like normal people. And I'm a normal person. So that's interesting. You know, it's, I mean, it is, I, I, I speak as a, as a middle-aged white cis <laughs> heterosexual dude who is saying, well, thank God that I was recognized in a piece of culture. But <laughs> <laughs> when somebody portrayed people like me, <laughs> but, but it really was that. It was, you know, I'm yeah. a shy nerd. One of the key characters in this show, Bruno, is a shy nerd, you know? Yeah. Um, and um, I, I, I mean, I wanted to be Bruno, so I learned how to play the piano because he played keyboards, and I wanted to date Doris Schwartz so bad. Um, <laughs> and um, later, I will tell you how that panned out. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Keep him in suspense. Give him a little bit, and then oh, make yeah, him yeah. hang on. <laughs> so yeah, it, it was, you know, as a, you know, I was born and, and, and raised in London. So my exposure to New York and the beautiful melting pot of New York up until that point was it was fame. Before that, it was TV shows like Taxi um, that also portrayed a slightly underclass, very diverse you know, community of, of people who worked in, in that company. And Marvel Comics, you know, when I, when I went to New York for the first time, it was familiar because I read Luke Cage. And it was like, yeah. I know that building from Luke Cage, from the comic book I read in <laughs> 1976, amazing. you know. Right? Crazy. I know where I am. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it really was. It was blowing my mind a little bit. So, yeah, so fame was the first thing. And that was before I really thought I was, that, that I could be a performer and could work in the arts. It was before I had found my thing. But it certainly showed me that it, that it wasn't, it wasn't as as gate kept as other shows made it appear, you know. Yeah. That and and the whole, you know, in in the opening credits of, of Fame, famously, Debbie Allen does that speech where she says Fame costs, and right here's where you start paying in sweat. And just rewatching the pilot for for this made me think, well, well, that's the key right there. That it's not mm -hmm. about this myth of of having a gift or having, you know, God-given talent. It's about work. If you yeah. want to, be, you know, you can roll up at that score and if you make it past the audition, then you can learn to be an artist. The, the fact that all this, this stuff, you know, people talk to me and, and they'll say, you know, oh, you're, you're, you're gifted or you're talented. And it's like, no, I just learned to do some things just like other people learn to do algebra. It's just a skill. And that's yeah. what fame kind of says. It says, you know, if you want to, be in the arts then you go to school and you learn how I thought that was really interesting that it kind of instilled in me this idea of it is all a craft that can be learned therefore it is accessible it's just down to hard work yeah that's amazing I'm just taking the the writer aspect of of what you do and what I do kind of weird notion that it's you know who you know and and what you do but unfortunately Hollywood in this industry is like that there is a nepotism value there is a backdoor with that but a lot of it is still practice and then when we perpetrate that we do give those people those passes 
just going back to what you're saying, the knowing that it was accessible if you wanted to work hard. And that is really where I I kind of hold on to with that series and just <laughs> and the theme song. But I mean that's and, and, and that's the difference between fame and something like Glee is all the songs in Glee were covers of existing songs. Every song in fame was written for that show. It's incredible. They released like seven albums, which I have all of. Um, <laughs> uh, 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 there's no shame in it. Your poor little eyebrows fell like. <laughs> I got. I got no shame. You can't. You can't have shame about things that you love. That, that yeah. life is too short for that. Absolutely. So, what would you say? I mean, if we're going back to just the pilot, or even just some of the arcs, because the characters that you described that were some of your favorites really have, you know, they've got a lot of ups, but they also have a lot of downs because, especially Leroy, because of his his background. And from what I remember, he had, um, he was kind of semi-illiterate. He had like a fourth grade reading level. Um, what do you think was your most most precious to you or the most formative to you from, from his standpoint and what happened to him? How did anything that he went through kind of, or work on how you navigate things now, or what did it teach you? I think, I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think the Leroy story is a really good example of the kind of one of the overarching, for want of a better phrase, vibes of the show, that, you know, talent isn't enough. You know, Leroy is a, a, just a spectacular dancer and an incredibly charismatic performer, you know, there's a bit in the in the um, in the pilot where they're doing a dance class, and Leroy and and Lydia, the teacher, Lydia Grant, um, have had a little sort of bit of hassle. She's saying you've got to get tight. So he's like, oh, I'm gonna. And then they start the dance, and he does a move beautifully, and just gives her this look, just this little sort of huh? look, and mm-hmm. she gives him one back, and it's just so they're both just. So, so um charismatic in these little eyes at each other see you know see what i can do and it's like yeah you are a, an amazing dancer you're brilliant but it's not enough because you know even from a most from a basic standpoint you can't navigate you know being in show business is 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 running us a, a business it's it's running yourself as a self-employed business you can't do that if you can't read it's so it's it's you know yeah. so he's and, and i guess i mean looking back now when this came out i was in my very early teens i guess that showed me that that kind of life existed i Mm -hmm. i I don't know if i was aware of that i mean i grew up in a very working class area of london um which is now currently uh i believe it is the stabbiest borough of london so that's something to be proud of Um, (laughs) (laughs) you know so i so i knew uh, that you know i we weren't particularly well off and certainly our neighborhood was, was quite poor. So I, I knew that people were poor, you know, but I don't know, it, it, it was kind of, it was certainly important at the time to see that portrayed on, on screen and to see him portrayed as a victim of circumstance rather than a hood, you know? And it's interesting because in the pilot, the, the, the two, there's these two characters that are extremes. There's Leroy, who is dirt poor. And then there's the Laurie Singer character who comes from immense privilege. And she has more problems at school than he does because she's dressed all nice and preppy and she arrives by taxi. So people think, well, you're not taking this seriously. You're not here to work. Mm-hmm. So she has to change as well. No, I'm not yeah. going to say, you know, won't, won't somebody please help the rich. But 
Well, but somebody think of the rich girl from Midway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the, 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 the tall, skinny, beautiful, rich, white girl who wears the gold chain and has the nice family that are all there for her. That poor thing. Um, <laughs> but it, do, it, it, it does kind of show that the point of um, the point of going to a school for the arts, and certainly for me, when I went to college, which was not for the arts, the point of that part of your life is to find yourself, is to yeah. knock off the bits of yourself that were given to you by your circumstance or your parents or whatever, and to find the things that are just yours. That's that's what college is for, right? Mm -hmm. That was a beautiful way to say that, to knock off the pieces and really just get down to brass tacks of who you really are. And it's interesting to see all of these backgrounds in this this show and how everyone was working hard and what it meant individually to everybody had a certain goal and a mission and being and wanting to be like mr bruno what do you feel from his arc shaped how you are a performer now or what drove you to doing what you do now oh i mean everything absolutely <laughs> everything um and and i've been lucky enough to 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 hang out with um uh, with lee Carrey, who played bruno martelli and i told it. Oh, they too on ask me about this. I've got a hell of a story. Um, okay. But you know, I have I have said to him, you know, you, you know, you made a lot of me. You know, you inspire. He was like, obviously, that is not the first time he's heard that. But he was like, oh man, thanks, cool. You know, um, <laughs> Bruno Martelli. I mean, he was he was like me. He was he was shy um, and and introverted, and he, you know, he 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 was a musical genius, but really had problems um performing and, and showing anyone his music and that was very familiar the thing he had that i did not have was a supportive family you know my, my parents were not not the best um but he had uh this 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 cab driver dad who you know supported him and worked hard to to buy him a synthesizer when he needed needed one and and he had this his his little basement where he sat surrounded by synthesizers oh my god i wanted that basement so badly <laughs> oh I could listen. Yeah, and he would get into this sort of be surrounded by his keyboards. I can I can name the synthesizers that he had. He had a Juno. He had an Odyssey. Um, I want. <laughs> I still want them all. I still want that basement. Um, so if then, anyone wants Matt's Christmas list, it'll be up on his Twitter later. There we go. I'll post a picture of the basement. Just buy me all of it. Everything in it. And and also he had his friends would come over and hang out with him in the basement and they would eat pizza yeah. and he would play a song that just sounded to me like it's just, just the, the, the absolute dream right you know and, and that was another thing that i longed for because i not only was i shy but i was kind of a, a bit of a loner if you can imagine such a thing <laughs> um, so i you know I, I loved the fact that they were all these different kinds of people from different backgrounds and and different races and different faiths and different you know everything's who would all hang out together they all had different skills um they all liked each other's skills you know when one of them did a song everyone else watched and loved it oh that that community of 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 artists that was right. also a family you know and my like i say my family was not super supportive so <laughs> there we go yeah so so when i arrived at Covent garden as a street performer in my late teens I found that's when I found my family of, of these yeah. street performers who are all these weird, broken people who just like me had been looking for a place where they can do the ideas are in their head, you know. And suddenly I was in this family of great dancers and acrobats and magicians and unicyclists and, you know. And then these days I've got this family of cabaret and burlesque people, you know, and 
who who I work with in all these clubs, and they're equally from diverse backgrounds, all different kinds of people. We all watch each other's act. You know, it's it, I've, I've, I'm, I'm really um, conscious and grateful that I've achieved that part of the dream. You know, that I have these friends who I admire and love, you know, who do who are artists. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because that camaraderie is so important to see formatively in a show for us and for you to, to take from that and be like, I, I like that, I want that, and this is how I'm going to go about getting it and falling into that and, and carrying that through as an adult because even as an adult, it's really difficult to make friends and uh, find yeah, yeah. people, especially if it, for, for me, I, I, I kind of have that problem, but I don't. I, I'm an idiot everywhere. So it's just, it's easy for me to kind of like bring <laughs> that in. But I'm also an in, what uh, I guess you would call an introverted extrovert. I really like my time alone and really self-soothing so that I would, would prefer that over, you know, being out and about. But even finding those people now, um, I've been lucky to through not only like podcasting, but also like I have a happy hour that I do um, that I started during the pandemic because it was just very odd to not have contact with other adults. Mm -hmm. um, but to have that and find people who, and this is going to sound so cliche, but people that actually get you and understand you and can say, no, that doesn't sound weird to me. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, yeah. I like that. No, I get where you're coming from. Um, to see that and to be able to achieve that is just really amazing. So I'm really proud of you for, for being able to do that. That's really, it's cool mm. to see that that can happen. Um, yeah. We're still going to work on getting you the keyboard, but to see if you Please. can do, <laughs> it's like, ease. Um, but to see that that can be achieved and, and how it, I'm trying to find the right words because I don't want to discount it, but how a show can show you this is not, this is make-believe, but it doesn't have to be make-believe. This is out here waiting for you. Like yeah, if you yeah. want it, you have to go get it by working, by joining, you know, other groups of people that are what you want to see and what you want to fulfill in your life. I think that was important. And we don't see that a lot in shows anymore. We don't no. see aspirational things. <laughs> it's like like aspirational social things. Like yeah. Yeah. You know, especially in shows that are about like show business, that they're always portrayed as being cutthroat and competitive. Mm -hmm. And th there is an element of that, of course, but my experience of the you know the the, the good part of showbiz is it, it is a family mm -hmm. yeah um, and then not yeah. everything's fucking showgirls <laughs> no <laughs> nothing wrong with showgirls though <laughs> i mean but you know the, the competitiveness and the cutthroat of that movie where like you're throwing marbles on the ground and breaking people's necks and you know i mean that's not really what this industry is going to entail no. but i do want to ask just because you do really draw a lot from this series and, and love this show is there one part of the show one arc one instance that you wish didn't happen or something that you wish did happen in the show that you would have loved to see well i mean obviously i wish they would remake the show with the original cast and put me in it but um <laughs> <laughs> not, a, not a tall order we can just ask some questions but continue yeah um oh that's a good one i mean the thing about, you know, you, you mentioned at, at, at the top about a, a TV versus movie. You know, there, there, there's more to dig into with a TV series rather than a, just a, a, a one and done movie. The, the, the flip side of that, perhaps, is that it is, you know, it does go off the boil. You know, so the first couple of seasons of fame, I, I mean, I just watched the pilot yesterday and some of the acting is not the best. I, I'm, I'm going to say it. <laughs> 
Um, but 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 some of the acting is brilliant. Like like Doris Doris Schwartz is amazing in it. She's really good. Um, yeah. But after a couple of seasons, people the original cast started to leave some of them, and so it it, it ran for six seasons. Um, they only showed the first four in England, um, which was a testament to the quality of the last two. Um, <laughs> so I guess you know it's it, it's hard. You know I, I yeah. I don't know if, if there's anything that I that 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 it that it did that I wouldn't have liked it to do except get less good in the later series, but that's kind of organic. As I don't know, I, I, you know, I I I'm not going to critique it. It was perfect. It was perfect. In, in <laughs> I that, enjoy know, that answer. <laughs> it wasn't great all the time. Sometimes it was good and sometimes it was bad. Sure. But I just read a, a an article by one of the writers. And he said that there was a point, you know, when uh, they were a few seasons in where they were very successful. And particularly, they were successful in, in, in Europe. They were making money. Yes. It was going into syndication. And, you know, so they started to write some, like, batshit stuff. They, they wrote a whole episode, a, a, a whole episode that was The Wizard of Oz from beginning to end. The whole thing was a dream sequence. Um, okay. At the beginning, I think, I think Doris gets, like, like, hit on the head. And gets knocked out and then the whole show happens and it's all the wizard of oz but set in the school with all the characters and well, then she wakes course. up at the end and it's just the sort of thing that writers do when they have to churn out you know 24 episodes and they're doing all the coke in the world and they're just going oh <laughs> what can we write oh put it in space maybe i don't know you know but it, it that's how you get fun and i know that yeah. from from one of the performers in that episode it's their favorite episode they ever did because it was so you know crazy and beautiful <laughs> I do want to know because we do have. I mean, we got all the time in the world to do it. I do have to hear about this this story about you finally meeting. Okay, so meeting him. Um, so a few years ago, and this is quite. A, this is like twelve years ago now. It, it was such a weird thing. So fame is because I'm a still a shy nerd. It's one of those things. I think everyone's got this secret list in their head of things that when they're feeling a bit down, they will Google. To remind themselves of like a childhood thing you know oh, for sure yeah. yeah so for me fame is one of them also you know i'll be i mean i'm, I'm looking right now at um a couple of battlestar galactica toys that are on my desk um right. you know, reading tracy comics <laughs> oh, <laughs> there. there you go look at that um <laughs> so i would google fame and, and, and i just happened to for, for you know no reason whatsoever i just thought oh, i wonder what you know if there's any like fame fan websites or whatever and i saw that the woman that played Doris Schwartz, my favourite character, Valerie Landsberg, was going to come to England the next weekend to do another, to do a thing. And there was this uh, sort of fame fan site that was like, look, she's, you know, she's going to be at this coffee shop and she's going to meet a few of us and just what? say hi. So I was like, well, screw it. I'm going to go meet her. So I went down to meet her. And it wasn't a big event because, you know, it's not that popular anymore. <laughs> there, were like, there were like 12, 15 of us nerds. It's a pretty there. decent number, it's though. I mean... And we all, and, and there she was, and we introduced, and we just sat and had a coffee with her. And, it was, and then, one by one, everyone drifted away, and it was just me and her. And, oh, <laughs> and we basically became friends, and we are now friends. Um, oh. And when she comes to England, we hang out, and she, she's... Uh, a mate now and it's it's weird and i've told her 
you know, I've, I've said, look, you were everything to me when I was like 13. And she was like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. You know, um, and she's fantastic. She's so smart. And she's since fame, she's acting and stuff. And then she's directed a bunch of stuff and written stuff. And she's just a complete delight. So <laughs> about three years, three and a half years ago, they, there was this weird, well, no, it wasn't weird. There was this fundraiser for a charity. And I shamefully, I forget what charity it was. And they, it was in Liverpool mm-hmm. and they got a bunch of the cast of fame to come over and do a reunion show. Wow. Yeah. So Val got in touch and said, look, we're doing this thing in Liverpool. Why don't you come down? You know? So me and my wife spent a weekend in Liverpool. We went to see the show. During the show, Valerie Landsberg, Doris Schwartz, sings her, her, her number one UK hit, High Fidelity, and dedicates it to me. Oh, my God. Blew my mind. Oh my blue my, I was on the floor giggling like an idiot. And then and then the next day, and then we kind of hang out. The next day we all sort of go and do some things and hang out. And most of the cast are there. And it's just bizarre because my wife also was a huge fame fan when she was young. So you know. So then we're in Liverpool. Um they, they say we're having a little party just before we all go home at the Cavern Club in Liverpool. Come down. And we're like, are you sure? She's like, yeah, yeah, come down, come down. So he came down, and in, in the show, Fame, whenever they have a social event, they will burst into song and dance, right? Because it's basically a musical TV show. Right. And that's what happened. <gasps> we went to a party <laughs> with the kids from Fame at the Cavern Club, and they all started getting up on stage and singing songs. And it was like I was in Fame. <laughs> it was bizarre. And I'm, I'm still not sure it actually happened, but it did. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah so great. that was that was when i you know i got to meet a few of the other cast and and um i got to sort of um talk to to the the, the guy that played bruno and and said look you know i i i wanted to be you when i was young and and i am now you know 35 years later i have a, a three decade career in the arts and it is partly because of you and you know that's it, it's good to be able to say that to people you know to yeah, let them know because because He's not enormously famous, you know. He's right. he's not Justin Timberlake. He, you know, so <clears throat> to you know, I I I hope that it's good for him to know that he affected someone's entire life. Yeah, that's so, so that's you know just you a know. regular story. <laughs> and and yeah, you know, I talk, you know, Val who who, who played Doris Schwartz. I, I I talk to her every you know probably about once a week at the moment, and um, yeah. <laughs> You know, she's, she's an absolute Get out of here. Yeah, it's, crazy. it's crazy, right? It's ridiculous. <laughs> that is so great. That is, I'm just, I'm tickled because that is, it's just something that literally, like, it never happens to just be like, oh, we're so formative for me. Let's be friends. And they're like, eh, you seem all right. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's bizarre. And, you know, I, I have certainly met you know, I, I, I've been lucky enough that in, in my career, I've, I've met people who you could describe as like heroes, you know, and mm. a couple of times I've met them and they've been absolute jerks. You know, they've been awful people right. and they've ruined my memory of them, you know, but, but when you meet someone who is, you know, super influential and, and they are just a complete delight and, super, you know, super easygoing and, and right. you know, like when I said how important she was to me, she immediately told me, who that person was for her when she was young, you know, and that's really and it nice. all it all trickles down exactly. And yeah, that is amazing because I 
well, I have, <laughs> I have probably four, four people in my life that are, two of them I can't talk to because they've passed away. <laughs> one is Rod Serling and one is Ray Bradbury, who have completely influenced the way that I write and, and the things that I, that I, that I write about. And I, I can't say anything to them. But I have been able to talk to two of my comic heroes, which one is Joe Staten, which is the Dick Tracy comic that I have. And I had hundreds of them when I was a kid because they were 10 cents. And I would go down, mm -hmm. it was Kim's Comics, and I would go down and I'm like, trot myself down. I was like, I have 50 cents. And I would get my Dick Tracy comics. And I had probably about almost, almost 120 of them. And we moved and my mom never grabbed my box of comics. Oh. And I lost them all. Oh. and I was like just go back and she was like well we can't go back we don't have the key anymore and then of course we asked the landlord who can't find them um yeah. which he probably threw them out and just didn't care so this is my whole life I've spent like you know um and the other one is is Tony Isabella who signed my Daredevil comic over here oh Daredevil yeah and he now also did Black Lightning so I mean that was mm. super formative for me as a kid too. So when I got to Comic-Con and I was able to, he was just standing there, like Josie was standing there with his wife. And I was like, hi. And, blah, 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 blah. and then of course this like grown woman is like blubbering in front of him. And his wife was like, oh honey, she's crying. Give her a comic. And he signed it. And it was just, you know, it was just, it was just weird to just be like, I just want you to know that you're my first comic. And then like, cause, cause from there I just went to DC and I went to Marvel after that. And that was my first my first foray into comic books. So it was so strange to just be able to say to somebody, you changed my life. And they're like, okay, great, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I can understand why I would. Yeah, totally. Thanks. Thank it's weird, isn't it? And, and, and yeah, that, is what, that is what art is for, you know, especially art like this, which is not, you know, with both fame and, and Dick Tracy, which is not, you know, it's not... Uh, thought of as highbrow art it's not right. thought of as art you know right um, <laughs> quote unquote. yeah quote unquote but but you know that stuff yeah i mean i'm 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 the same i I remember when i i bought well my dad bought me the first edition of 2000 ad mm. you know the the british comic 2000 yeah, yeah. Dread and yeah and the first edition um had it wasn't very good the comic wasn't very good but it had a frisbee on the front and then the second edition had stickers on it <laughs> and the, but it was so clever the stickers were just photographs of circuit boards but in a kind of oval sticker so you could stick them on your arm and pretend right. to be like you peeled your skin off oh and um <laughs> yeah i mean i i know i'm the, the exact same thing happened to me i had a box full of marvel comics and 2000 ad's and my parents threw them out yeah uh, oh, Wow. I literally have never been so mad at an adult as that moment as a child. I was like, I'm sorry, what? I can I can I can beat that though. I had a box full of original Star Wars figures from oh. my childhood. Oh. And during a um mental health episode, uh threw them all out. Just yeah. did that whole crazy person, I'm a grown-up now, I don't need this, you know, threw them all out. Yep. And then because I was having a a, a, a mental illness episode. Uh, blanked it out forgotten that i had oh, so a few months later i'm like oh i'm gonna go up into the loft and get my star wars figures down and my poor wife was like yeah i don't think you still have them i was like no 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 of course i do no i i think you threw them. no i wouldn't have done that 
and I was in the lock looking slowly realizing oh, oh, oh that's oh, some man. darkness right there no. <laughs> but and it's okay because I'm a grown-up now so I just went out and bought new ones <laughs> so <laughs> you know it's yeah. fine it's um, fine but but it's so what's so great about your journey with this show is that you've you've made yourself the star of your own fame, which is so funny to say, but it's <laughs> not a lie. It's not, you know, it's not like you've you've come so far and you've done so many things and and you are known internationally for doing a really amazing things. And I has anyone said to you in your life yet that they you've influenced their way to do things or you've made them want to try things? Yeah, yeah, they have, and and and. That's always amazing. You know, I, I occasionally get emails from people, you know, because I'm lucky pre-pandemic, I, I travel all over the world, literally. Mm -hmm. um, so to get emails from people in like Canada or Australia or New Zealand or Japan or whatever, who is like, you know, who are like, oh, we love your act. And, and I, you know, um, you know, people who, I, there, there were performers who will like say, like send me a picture of a tie and go would this be a good tie for my costume would, <laughs> would you wear this and it, you know but so yeah i mean I've, I've been very lucky that 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 i i i you know people have told me that i've influenced them and and hopefully inspired them a bit and it is interesting because the name of the show is fame right but i was never in this for fame fame isn't interesting to me at all if i wanted to be famous i wouldn't be a you know I, i'm a very niche performer you know if I wanted fame, I would have been a singer or a stand-up comedian, I guess, because I'm a middle-aged white guy. So a stand-up comedian, you know. <laughs> or put but on a I podcast didn't. like me. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's there are archetypes I could fit into that society says, well, here's a faster route to, you know, conventional fame. But that's, not, that's not interesting. You know, I am essentially a juggler. There are not many famous, there are no famous jugglers. Um, you know, I got into it because I wanted to uh, do the things, the ideas I had in my head, I wanted them to come out. It's as simple as that, you know, and I'm still in that position where you know, I'm, I'm currently working on a new yo-yo routine. Um, I'm, I'm 52 and I'm playing with yo-yos. It's ridiculous. But, you know, I'm a, that, that, that's why I wanted to get into this, to learn a craft, to, to spend, you know, every day until I am dead getting better at it and being able to use it to make people laugh and to be honest with people to connect with right. people you know and and that's what fame taught me it taught me that you can be yourself and you can find what your art is and you can mold it into something you know of, of worth and it doesn't matter if it gets you famous or not you know right. um if you touch one person you know if there's if, if it's like like the old line goes you know if you just make one person laugh then you're not very funny Right. <laughs> just one just one that's not, that's not enough that's not enough you need more but, you know i feel like juggler is so relative because i remember the first time i i saw matt act it was at um the double r club in where, where green. yeah beth no green and yeah. just completely blank for a second don't tell them i said that because <laughs> i was like I, because i play i literally plan my london trips around that which i when we are post pandemic nice. quote unquote um I will hopefully be back but yeah um i had seen the act that you had done with um when you had blindfolded yourself and then done the knife in your mm. hand the knife around your fingers if anyone does not know what i'm talking about i want to take you back to the movie aliens when hudson is sitting there <laughs> and bishop puts his hand on top of hudson 
and does a little like knifey stabby thing and Hudson goes nuts. That's pretty much what Matt did on the stage, blindfolded um, and did not even, <laughs> I don't know, from what I saw on the stage, did not even nick yourself. And I was fascinated. <laughs> I was fascinated. I was like, no way. Because I don't even know how you begin to practice that with literally without slicing your hand off. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to make you give the secrets away on the show. But I was fascinated. And I was like, this is so cool. And just following like what you do with the, the, the tablecloth act and you're juggling and just the, the way you, in, you engrossed an audience with just your demeanor is is so interesting and you and and to to your um point being a niche performer like that is not only really interesting but it also shows the audience like everything that you've wanted to learn and do you've done um absolutely and you still have more things that you want to do and it's it's the self-limiting belief about um no i can't do that no, that's kind of impossible. Nah, I kind of, when you kind of push that aside, there's really a, a lot of things that you can accomplish. So I think with your act, you definitely show people that that's possible. So that's, that's just my opinion of things. That is, um, that, that is the curse of, of what I do. It's, and that's where the knife comes from, is you learn a trick, like, you know, you learn the, the, the knife between the fingers trick. And then this little voice in the back of your head says, yeah, but imagine if you did it blindfolded. And then you go, yeah, yeah, but that would be dangerous and impossible. Yeah, but what if it wasn't? Oh, God. <laughs> and now you have, now, it's like, now I have to try it. And now I have to spend six months of my life learning it. And, you, you know, and, you know, I can do it. But it is this little voice that, you know, it's the same with the tablecloth. I pull the tablecloth off. Yeah, but what if you could put it back on again? Oh, God. Now I've got to learn <laughs> to do that, you know. And you do. <laughs> and I do. <laughs> Spoiler. Um, but you know what's so funny about that that night was when I had, I had seen you and you had done it and like I said I was I was absolutely astonished <laughs> and then you probably did not hear this but I shouted it after you were done when you ripped the tape off I was like oh, your eyebrows <laughs> <laughs> that's funny and I okay I'm glad you didn't hear it because I you were like oh my god I remember that I definitely would have felt like an idiot but um, yeah. <laughs> I, I was very concerned about, I was less concerned about your hand, more concerned about your eyebrows, um, because it was duct tape or something that looked really strong. No, it is, it is duct tape, yeah. Um, but the thing is, when you're on stage, you know, you sweat a bit. So actually, okay. the challenge is keeping it on. Um, no lubrication. Okay, now I feel better, because I was like, go, yeah, mm, yeah. adhesive <laughs> allergy. Well, because I'm an esthetician by trade, so it's like the adhesive allergies and skin contact. I was very concerned um, from a vocational standpoint. But no, I'm so excited that we're that we're talking about this and how much more. Um, that's why I said I was really excited to to discuss a TV show because there's so much more nuances possible to to particular episodes and and the friendships that you've been able to to acquire through that is really really cool. It's really yeah. Cool. It was um yeah it, it it was interesting when you said you know think of something that that, that shaped you. It's like yeah this is the this is the obvious choice you know. Um, if you could yeah. sum up this uh, series in two sentences to explain to somebody who has no idea what fame is, could you do it? It's easy. Fame costs. But right here's where you start paying. In sweat. Yes. And, <laughs> and, and the better you are, the more sweat I want to see. Oh, there huh? you go. That's a wrap. I don't even think about saying anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. 
for you, what do you feel like? Because I asked these of, of uh, my folks that I, we talk uh, film on. For you, in your opinion, what do you think um, this series is trying to say? I mean, we may have touched on it earlier when we were talking about what you can achieve through any particular background and finding that found family. What do you feel like this series, in your opinion, was trying to say? I think it was trying to say different things to different people because, like you know, like any big American TV show, it's it its stars are young people, its writers mm. are slightly older, and its producers are old. So yeah, and and they all have input. So I think on its face, it's saying, you know, all the all the cliche showbiz American things: go for your dream, do you know, do your best, be yourself, all those things, which are. They are cliched, but there's nothing yeah. wrong with any of those things. You know, I think specifically it's saying be yourself. Right. Um, you know, every every character in it, even the background artists, they all look individual. They all look like something, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. They're not just central casting. They're, you know, they've all got their own thing going on. And they were clearly encouraged to find a, a thing that would be their thing, you know. So I think at the same time as, you know, shoot for your dream, all that stuff, I think also it's saying this is modern America. This is, here are the kids, you know, here are the young people of America. There, there are several occasions when they do a song and dance in a public place, like in a, a diner or a music store. And mm -hmm. for the first 20 seconds, you get all these shots of, you know, the grumpy man who works in the music store or the people who are trying to have a quiet dinner. And all these yeah. kids come on and start singing and, and they're like, oh, these awful kids. Uh. But then 30 seconds later, they're like, hey, this is pretty good. You know, so, so I think Clap it's it along. Of, yeah. So I think it's kind of chill out, America. All these kids that you're scared of, these ones that, you know, that, that aren't white and maybe aren't even straight. And oh, oh, you're scared, you know, middle-aged white America of these kids. Just chill. They're just, it's fine. Look, they can sing. You know, I think there's, there was a sort of gentle kind of trust, trust the kids Thing yeah. to it yeah um maybe right. i'm reading into that i don't know I, I know i think so i think it's yeah no i think that's 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 fair but mostly it was showbiz cliches which as yeah. a 13 year old you know they hit <laughs> right right i think that that's well very well put because it was showing i mean to somebody you know across the pond or even to somebody in middle america who might have no idea that these, all these diverse characters can be in one place and thrive. They might not, yeah. that might've been their first time seeing that. And I have yeah. a friend, I went to uh, Rutgers in New Jersey for college. And I had a friend that, you know, came from Salt Lake City who she's like, my whole school is white. This, I, this is the first time I've ever seen, I've ever seen a black person up close. Like this is the very first time. And it's like, even in like that, it was the late nineties when I, remember when I was in college, but it's to hear that from somebody is like, what? <laughs> yeah. But it happens. Yeah. Um, and I think we needed to to see that. So I think that was that was very, very, very well put. I'm so excited. Yay! I'm so excited that we got to talk about this today. I can talk <laughs> about this all day. I mean, I don't know oh, what your schedule is like. Um, <laughs> but I want to just to bring it back to uh Matt's career um and what you're doing these days, where can the folks find you if they're looking to either find a show or hear about you? What's going on? Well, I mean, you know, obviously it is all the usual um, Twitter and Instagram. Matt Ricardo with one T on Twitter and Instagram. Um, that's where I post about the things that are coming up for me. Uh, MattRicardo.com, 
Um, and so you can see a bit, if, if, if you don't know me, you can see a bit more about what I do and where I've done it. Um, and, you know, since the pandemic, when all my live work got cancelled, I mean, it's starting to come back now, but I've had a year and a half of sitting at home, not doing my job. Um, I've been, I believe the phrase is pivoting um, mm -hmm. to YouTube. Um, yeah. I've been making little films for my YouTube channel. So, yeah, please go and check out my YouTube. As the kids say, uh, like and subscribe. Smash that like button. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Smash it until it's broken. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah. Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, um, and come and say ho. Uh, come and say ho. Come and say hi. Um, I'm 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 a friendly, a, a, a basic friendly person. <laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely love it, and and I love Matt's uh, YouTube because it's there's so many things that. As creatives, regardless of what you're doing, if you're writing, if you're producing, if you're directing a film, if you're writing a short story, if you're a performer, there's so much good insight that he has in just kind of making everything work. And there's so many relatable things that you can parlay into what you are particularly doing, and you can glean a lot of really good knowledge from that. Um, the last one you had about wrestling was so yes. good. It was <laughs> so good. And there, there is there is a lot of things that creatives can learn from professional wrestling. You, you know showmanship and really how to carry a, a story if anyone is like me and watched you know professional wrestling when we were growing up I had the I had the the musical tape when they did the album <laughs> oh hang on which one uh um, driver I, uh I don't know was... it's the one where they're all in the front I had the it was the record and they're all dressed up in the front and it's uh I can find the cover for you because we had it because it is was it the one, the one? where Hulk Hogan sings a song about a fan who died. <laughs> there's there's one where he sings a song about a fan who died and it make and he makes it all about him <laughs> and it's called Hulk's doing heaven. <laughs> Hulk's doing heaven. I don't remember. He's the it worst was this one. Human in it was the that world. one. That oh, one. there it is, the wrestling yeah. album. Oh. It was that the wrestling album because I remember it, we had it was junkyard dogs grab them cakes. That was <laughs> dog. Now you're talking. Right, second podcast about wrestling. There you go. <laughs> but this has been an absolute pleasure. I'm I'm so glad that we got to actually talk about a TV series. I'm so glad we got to talk um, in real time. This was so much fun, and I just so appreciate you coming on my little little podcast. And I'm I'm so appreciative for that. So. Folks, thank you uh, again for listening to us. Thank you to uh, the extraordinary gentleman, Mr. Matt Ricardo. Um, and we will uh, see you next week. Say goodbye to the folks, Matt. Bye, folks. Thanks for having <laughs> me.